welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah in Portland. And this is Dimity in Denver. Happy 4th of July, SBS. Yes, to you as well. God bless America. Mm-hmm. Red, so, white, and blue, grand old flag, all that stuff. What yeah, else? Yes. Uh, Uncle Sam. <laughs> hot dogs and baseball and apple pie. and um, So um, so how do you celebrate the 4th of July, Dim? Are you all a big fireworks watcher or barbecuers or what do you do? You know, it just depends upon the year. Um, you know, there's we belong to a neighborhood pool. And mm-hmm. uh, so they often have a... They have a game day, you know, where you dive for oh. pennies and soda and beer if you're an adult, and um, not all at once. You don't, it, you don't. Just, wait, you don't do dive for the beers. So that they put beers at the bottom of the pool and dive for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love There's, that. Yeah, yeah. They they put them in the thing. It's it's Suddenly. it's um. And then in the and then so, the deep end where like the diving well is, they they put a mini keg. Oh my god, Jack would suddenly become like Greg Luganis. He would. Be- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to start the start the. It, it's definitely a strategy to it. I've done it once. It's I will not. Say, I will say it's mostly dominated by the men. Uh-huh. So um, you know, I get in there and I'm like, I don't know. And, and it really depends upon what kind of beer they have. I'm not going to swim for Miller Light like that's yeah. just or but Coors if they, Light. If they got a Shinerbach down there, you are Shinerbach. Yeah, well, they, yeah. <laughs> Shinerbach down in there. a can though. It's got to be in a can. <laughs> right, but, um, right. Yeah. No glass in the pool. Yeah. No glass in the pool. But yeah, so they have that kind of stuff and a barbecue. And then yeah, we'll go watch fireworks. I mean, we have a couple options where like that are kind of close by that we can just drive to and it's not crazy mm-hmm. you know it's not like boston how the charles kind yeah. of scene you know yeah see because okay so so we are record we will admit we're recording this before um the fourth of july but and um so on the fourth of july i'm actually going to be in connecticut with my three kids visiting my elderly parents and so I've been thinking about it, what we're going to do. And, you know, as a kid growing up, we definitely went to this neighboring towns to watch the fireworks. And so I've been thinking, oh, are we going to go to Waveney and New Canaan to watch the fireworks? And I'm just like, oh, the crowds, the parking, the that whole thing. And then I got to thinking, like, I'm not sure I've ever taken my children to a fireworks display. And that I, now as a grown up, I, I don't like fireworks so much because I don't like the loud noise. I mean, I love the visuals, but the noise kind of overrides it for me. But I have such wonderful memories of watching them as a kid, whether it was with when I was in Ohio to be visiting my grandparent, my grandmother, and we'd go watch those local ones, or, you know, like I said, in Connecticut or whatever. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like two years ago, we were in San Francisco with the family on the 4th of July, and we maybe like saw them out the window of our motel. I mean, like, I'm just. <laughs> and you never made it a concerted effort. Huh? I, I, I make no effort. Yes. No, I make no. The, the opposite of an effort. So, and my, it's not like my kids have been like, mom, why don't you take us to fireworks? But I've just, I don't know. I'm just feeling a little mommy guilt over kind of depriving them. Well, of so that. why don't you take, take them? I mean, so don't feel guilty. Take them. Yeah. But gosh, I just, I can't stand crowds. Oh my gosh. I just. Well, well so go on the side. I mean, it's like a triathlon, like line up on the side. Don't be in the middle of the water. Line up on the side to get your, you know, you get your own little sight line or yeah. find a parking lot that's not near everything. I mean, oh, that's, that's... you know, they're up in the sky. It's not like you have to be, you know, <laughs> they're, they're you know, up. hovered over them. Because yeah, right. that wouldn't be safe to be hovered over them. That's not no, a good no, idea. No. Yeah, no, 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 no. So. I have to say, now that you say that, you know, one of my best memories, well, I have two memories of fireworks. One, and they're both with Ben. Uh-huh. So the first year we were in Crested Butte um, and he was little. I mean, he was born in April. So he must have been, it wasn't when he was a baby, baby. He must have been like 15 months. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and we were in Crested Butte, which is a small mountain town. And they had them at the, at the, at the, at the hill. And um, 
And we were walking over there and the noises scared him so bad. I remember mm-hmm. holding him and he was just, you know, that like clinging, you know, mm-hmm. like when they, you know, yeah. you get near a dog and they don't like dogs and they're just like, don't let me down. Don't let me down. Don't <laughs> right, let me down. Right. You know, and he's just clinging and I'm like, you know, and, and kind of, I'm like, it's okay. They're pretty, you know, trying to kind of talk him through it. Uh-huh. And, um, and then finally he threw up, he got oh. himself worked into such a ladder. Shoot. He threw up all over me. <laughs> I was like, okay, so we'll go home. You guys stay here. And uh, and we got back to this condo and that we were renting and um and I didn't have the key. Oh. So we laid out, you know, on that really gross like condo carpet floor that, you know, ski boots and hiking boots and all this stuff had traveled over over the years. It was, you know, 1970s, you know, VRBO. And uh wow. So that's that's a that's a good family story. But then to make up for that, I think it was last year, I were up in the mountains again at my mom's house and um and he was the only one what happens usually is we just lose momentum as a family. It's not that we don't want to go. It's that you you know, you eat a big meal, you know, you might have a drink or two if you're the parent mm-hmm. and then you're like, oh, and they don't start until night, which means <laughs> right. that's like 930. Right. And that, you stay know, up. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes we watch them on TV. Um, but Ben really wanted to go and I was like, OK. And so we drove out to um, uh, Frasier, which is probably about 15 minutes from my mom's house and um, and kind of walked around and kind of took in the crowd. And there was a lot of space. It's a big, like, soccer field kind of baseball field recreation area. Mm-hmm. And got, like, you know, funnel cakes or something that they have there. <laughs> and then we went and sat on the roof of my minivan oh, and nice. watched. And he sat in my lap. And, oh. oh, I just remember that was – that is definitely one of my – one of my memories, like a good, good memory, good highlight of being a mom. And we just oh. sat and talked and, you know, he got to breathe in his hair and just, you know, just all that good stuff. Oh, that's right. And was it just the two of you? It was just the two of us. Yeah. Oh, no, okay. Amelia didn't want to go. And Grant, you know, was like, I'll just stay. And, you know, so, yeah, oh. we were the only two that rallied from, you know, me and my sisters and their family. And wow. that was really fun. So yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, is it is it the fireworks? No, but is it the experience? Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. You know, I guess that's that's what I remember because I do remember like sitting on the beach and being with my family and you know what, seeing everybody in red, white, and blue. And I mean, parades. I love a good Fourth of July parade. Maybe you could do that instead with oh your kids. Goodness. Do you ever do was, that? Uh, can I tell you? I have one of my most vivid childhood memories is I was in the um, bicentennial parade in my town. Um, my mother's very was very active in the Stanford Historical Society up until very, very recently. And um, so they had in the, you know, 1976, I was 10 and they do the math. And um, uh, so they needed, um, you know, people to kind of look like little colonial people in the wagon. And so they had this horse-drawn wagon and my mother sewed me this dress that I still have. I could go find it this very moment if you wanted wow. to. Wanted wow. It. I think we might need a picture if of it. We might need a picture. The... Yeah. 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 And, um, and so, um, so I was in the wagon and um, the boy that they had was so cute. Oh my goodness. He was just this just angelic looking boy with brown hair and he was about my age and I just had such a crush on him for that ride through town. And Stanford is this very, my, my hometown is a very long town. It's like 13 miles long. My parents live way at the north end of it. And I don't know, we just never went really to the to the far south parts of it and because it touches the the um, Long Island Sound and I mean we rarely went to the beach like I don't feel like I grew up in a beach town at all and so we were in this part of Stanford and I'm like where am I <laughs> like I think I've traveled <laughs> back in time but oh my goodness and finally so then when my 
uh, parents finally picked me up. I'm like, Mom, where are we? <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> Dorothy, we're in Kansas. <laughs> yeah. So, but, um, so yeah, so I have been in a parade. I haven't, um, that's, you know, I don't, um, I, I guess, oh, when I lived in Massachusetts, I think, um, watched a couple, you know, small town parades and, um, yeah, no. So who knows? Yeah. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll find a parade in Connecticut. So, you know, um, I mean, I'd say, you know, I mean, I obviously do what feels good for you, especially because you're probably your ankle won't be full strength, but yeah, you know, like, I mean, I think, it's, it's, I mean, I think that we have that a lot, like mm-hmm. as, as adults, like, you know, like, oh, I don't want to go to this party. I don't want to go to this party because mm-hmm. I'm tired. You go there and you're so glad you went. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know? And so yeah. you can apply that mentality to the fire. Like, I don't want to deal with crowds. And once you go and you're just, and then you're okay. So you're in traffic for 20 minutes before you get home. Like big deal. That's, right. you know, it's, right. it's a holiday, you right. know, when you're with your parents and I won't, I won't be taking my parents. <laughs> oh, I'm the, I'm the one, you know, I'm the one, the limited mobility member of the family that will be going. So yeah, oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. No. So it would be, it would be me and the kids and who knows, maybe I'd take my sister with me, but, but we shall support you. You might've, you might've talked me into it, Dimity. So thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. Well, we'll, we'll expect an update yeah. uh, next week. Yeah. Um, but in the meantime, let's have a little uh, mother runner guest show shall we? Yes. So we've got Katie Arnold coming on the program today. Katie uh, is an ultra runner who lives in Santa Fe, New Mexico with um, her two daughters and her husband. She is the former um, managing editor at Outside Magazine, and she now writes a column called Raising Rippers um, that is on outsideonline.com. She's also a freelance uh, writer who writes about adventure, travel, sports, and health and the environment. And she has an essay in Tales from Another Mother Runner. But before we talk to Katie, we're going to take a quick break. Welcome to the show, Katie. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you doing? Good, good, good. So we're pleased you could join us. So remind us, for starters, how old your daughters are now? Uh, My two daughters are four and six. Oh, so... Has one finished kindergarten? Um, One is going into second and one is about to start kinder. They're going to be five and seven in um, next month. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, they're they're, on the, they're they're young for their class. They are young, and I uh, my husband always rounds up, and I d- refuse to. I'm like, they're still four and six for another. <laughs> you know, exactly. Don't round them up. Don't round don't them round up. them up. Time's too short. Yeah. yeah. Well, so and how did you begin running, Katie? Tell us uh, a little bit about your journey as a runner. Yeah, I've been a runner my whole life. Um, I started running as a kid. Um, I ran my first. Um, 10k. My first race was a 10k and I was seven years old. Um, it was a total lark. Um, way to go big. What's that? Way to go big at a young age. I know way to go big. You know, it was, we were down visiting my dad. My parents had split up and, um, my dad lived in Virginia and my sister and I lived in New Jersey and we visited my dad quite often. It was a very different time, you know, as a child of divorce back then. Um, but we visited my dad, four or five times a year. And, um, there was a race, there happened to be the second annual fodder stack 10 K in his country town in Virginia. And my dad was sort of a goofball and he's like, Hey, why don't you guys, you know, think about running it. And we, I don't know how we did it, but we ran it. And my dad didn't even go with us. We were, my (laughs) sister and I were solo on the course. (laughs) 
like fully bringing up the rear. And my dad was a National Geographic photographer. And so he was the course photographer, of course, on the, and he was waiting at the finish line, snapping his action shots of people. And we staggered across the line. I mean, it was somewhere sub two hours, um, but close to two, probably like 150. And we come staggering across the line. And my dad actually like made us go back and like he missed the shot of us oh, coming. No. <laughs> and he made us go back and like mock crawl across the line. Like, like this, <laughs> that this wasn't fate. embarrassing at all. Not no, at all. <laughs> no. I mean, I was, I was out of my body already. Like it, nothing he could have said would have like phased me because I was like having an out of body experience, having just tried to run six miles as a seven year old. And so we fake crawled across the line and I still have that photo. But then we went back, you know, subsequently and we raced that race every year, I think until I was in my late teens. So I've always identified with being a runner. And that that race, even though it was it was kind of a lark and a and a gag that first time, really changed my life and um kind of showed me that I am an athlete. I'm I'm, I've always been a physical person and an athlete, but from a very early age I had this confidence um that you know because when you're seven six miles is like an eternity sure I mean it made no sense how far away you know it's it's really shaped me as an endurance athlete well and and so um when you when we did your profile when we did the tales from another mother runner thursday on our website you talked about your daughter you 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 i mean how many times have you run it's called the fodder stock is that the right the fodder stack the fodder yeah stack how many times have you run that because you went back with your older daughter or younger daughter and ran it again like tell us about that yeah so i went back um I went back in April in um, just a couple months ago and I took my six-year-old daughter Pippa with me and um, my dad has uh, passed away and um, and so we were going back to see my stepmother and the reason we were going was because you know a few months ago or before the race she said well you know I've been training for the fodder stack and she's 70 and she um she stopped running like 10 years ago, but she had never really run the fodder stack. I think she ran the first one and, you know, like hyperventilated at the starting line because there were so many people and had to dive into someone's driveway and like recover. And she never (laughs) ran it again. (laughs) And so, but something, you know, triggered in her that she wanted to run it. And so she said, well, I'm running the fodder stack and I really want to win my age group, 70 plus. Nice. And, um, the goal. And, and I was like, you know what, Pip and I really want to come back to see the farm. And we hadn't seen my stepmom in a long time and been back to my dad's farm. And, and so I decided just right then, same thing, kind of on a lark, like, let's go. And I, I booked those tickets and I talked, I started talking to Pippa and she, she heard about the race because I have all these like pottery cups from winning my age group all scattered around the house here and there. I mean, I, I probably run it um, you know, 10 or 12 times over the years. And, um, and so I, I just brought it up and I said, let's, you know, let's go back. And if you want, you can run it. And I thought maybe I would be a hard sell for her, but she just jumped on it. It was kind of freaky. Like, she's like, I'm going to do it. And I never was, I never wanted to push her into it, you know, as some sort of weird parental symmetry. Like I did it when I was seven, yeah. six, seven, and you must do it now too. Yeah. You know, it was, um, if she hadn't shown interest or if she'd said, no, I'm not that interested, I would have dropped it. But she was really game. She's like, let's go out and train, quote unquote, train. And so we went, you know, we would do these little loops in the trails behind our, right out the back door. Maybe did it twice or three times. (laughs) I bought her new sneakers, running shoes. 
And I sort of set it up with my stepmom has some friends um, who were going to be walking the course along with a nine-year-old girl, neighbor girl. And I thought, perfect. So Pippa can, you know, walk the course with them. And if she, if she's going to, you know, she'll probably walk most of it, I thought. Anyway, we get there and she ends up running the first two miles full out. Mm. <laughs> and I know. And then I didn't see her because I was running my own race. And my plan was to run my race and then circle back and kind of sweep her up. And, um, but I'm, I, so I went back and I caught her about mile four at the top of the biggest hill, which they call the mountain. <laughs> and um, there she was at the top of the mountain. And she had walked, run the first two miles, walked, run the second two miles and, and walked up the hill. And then we sort of walked the last mile and a half and then a half a mile before the finish line, she just books it. I mean, I couldn't even keep up. Oh my gosh. She she was like, I'm out of here. I'm running for the finish line. (laughs) And I was so proud. So she ended up finished. She was the youngest finisher. Oh, And, um, she, she did amazingly. My stepmom won her age group as she wanted. And then I won the women's race. And so we had this family moment where we were awarded the family prize because, um, of a family with sort of a long, a long history with the race. So it was a really, really special day. And it was nice for me because I was coming back from an injury and it was my first race back and just everything kind of just fit together. And it was this really sweet homecoming. Oh yeah. my gosh. And, and did you cool? get, did you get a great finish line photo of your daughter or you or your, well, yeah, you know, I finished and then she hadn't finished yet. And so then I went back to kind of rally her up and I wanted her, I wanted to get that shot of her crossing the finish line, but honestly, she was ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> she beat me to the line the second time. And so I couldn't get the, you know, I could not get the like faking crawl across the finish line but I know my dad was with us in spirit and you know it, anyway it was it was fantastic I was Sounds really like proud of her day. that's amazing uh, yeah, yeah that's awesome that's awesome great. and I also have to ask do you have a pet bird or is that just the the little twittering birds in Santa Fe that are uh yeah, no pet bird, just the birds out the window. Oh my goodness, it's so darling. I feel I feel like you're like, you know, Snow White or something, and they're like holding ribbons and dancing around um, your head or something. No, I, that sounds just like a sweet image. No, they are just, I've got my windows just even cracked a little bit. Should I shut them? Is it too low? Is it oh, too loud? Oh, I like oh, it. No, oh, I think it's, it's darling. No. It's darling. Okay, yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, it has yeah. this little Cinderella touch to it. Okay. Wait, and so you, you mentioned your injury, and it was such a freak injury. Didn't you break your knee running or something? I broke like my that? knee running. And Yeah, you got to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, it was pretty awful. I was out. um, I'd been feeling a little like patella achiness. I've never had knee problems, but I was having a little patella, you know, not pain, that's too strong a word, but I was feeling a sensation in my patella. So I thought, well, I'm not going to run any mountains or hills. I, you know, that's kind of my specialty is I run uphill a lot and I love it. And I'm, you know, I'm pretty decent at it. And so I thought I'm just going to run the the flats. And I chose this trail that's somewhat tedious, especially, um, you know, when it's warm, because it's low elevate, it's lower elevation. It's out at like 7,000 feet out in the desert. 7,000 feet. Well, (laughs) you're right. Okay. Anyway, for Santa Fe, it's lower. And so I just thought, oh, I'll just, I'll run. And, but foolishly, like, because it was flat, then my ego kicks in and thought, well, now you have to run this fast, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's flat. And so I had some, you know, like idea in my head that I was going to be really fast and I don't wear a watch or time myself, but I sometimes look at my watch before I leave. And so I had done that when I left my car and I, I had this, I was like, 
in my head in this fantasy, like running this, this fantasy race that day in my head and trying to push myself hard. And my, I had felt my IT kind of cramping and my patella was flaring and, but you know, and I, I did stop and stretch for a minute, but then I started going fast again. And I, and then through my headphones, I heard the like horrific, like, you know, sound of ripping paper, like through. And I, you know, when I listen to my headphones, sometimes the music is loud, especially when I'm on a trail, like the rail trail where it's pretty tedious and there's no traffic. I mean, I never run with traffic, but like, you know, you need, you need some motivation to keep going because it's just monotonous. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was cranking the music. I will not, I, I, I confess, I was fully cranking it. And through like mm. the super loud blaring Taylor Swift, my knee makes a sound. And I was like, whoa, okay, that's not right. Oh and I stopped and, you know, I've, I, I, the pain was not intense, but it was something was clearly wrong. And of course I f- immediately freaked to like, I've just torn my ACL or something, not having any clue that I just actually broke my own bone. But what happened was, it was like an, I guess they call it an avulsion fracture where a, a super strong muscle contraction can just, you know, pull your bone out of place and break it. Oh. And yeah, so I broke it. I didn't know for a couple of weeks, like I, I sort of staggered the last mile home and I aced it and it just blew up like a balloon, as you can imagine. Mm. But we had this river trip scheduled to go up to the Green River. And we, of course, like I will do anything to, not to cancel a river trip. So we went and I had this like goofy little neoprene knee brace and my paddleboard and I paddleboarded like for four days like 50 miles down the green river standing up but it didn't hurt standing up I just couldn't go from standing on my board to sitting so I had to do this like wacky modified like downward dog kickback you know and like I couldn't bend my knee and so then it was only when I got home that I went to the doctor and he's like well you didn't tell me you fell and I was like well I didn't fall and he's like you fractured your patella it looks yeah. like he fell. And I said, well, you know, I didn't. And then we deduced that it had actually broken while I was running. So you're just so strong. You yeah. I, I mean, bones. it's not like I have, <laughs> I know, like, my claws are massive. <laughs> no, I don't know. I just was, it was the t- classic case of being in your head, in your ego and overriding the body. Like there was no one pushing me on that day, but myself and my like weird glorified fantasy in my head that I was like running some ultra and winning it, you know, and Anyway, I learned my lesson. It was awful. Oh, so how long did yeah. that, um, did your healing time take? Well, it was, um, it was healed like by December and then I started, um, wait, what month did it happen in? It happened in September. So it was like 10 weeks, mm-hmm. almost 12 weeks. In a cast or no? No, he was like, I'm not going to put you in a cast because you've been walking on it for two weeks, you fool. <laughs> and it hadn't broken and, you know, it hadn't displaced. So he was like, I'm not going to put you in a cast, but, you know, you cannot fall on this because then I will be putting screws in your knee. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And I always, you know, sort of knew I had a high pain tolerance, but that was a shock even to me that I'd been walking around on a broken knee. I mean, it made sense because it, I mean, it did feel like someone had taken a baseball bat to my knee. Um, but anyway, (laughs) so I was cleared to run and then my recovery has been a little like, um, stagger steps, let's say just some setbacks. I think, um, I've been pretty mental about it. It's, it's hard to recover, come back from an injury as I'm sure you guys both know and, um, not get in your head about it. So 
I've been having some physical, you know, like it's, it's a physical process, but almost more than that, it's a mental process for me. And have you done physical therapy? Have you done anything else for it? Well, I've been doing, I haven't done physical therapy because my doctor was like, you have full range of motion, everything's fine. But I kind of feel like I should, you know, do something. I, it's probably 90%. Um, but now, yeah, I've just had other weird things happening. I think I can't, I started running again in March mm-hmm. because then in between I tweaked my knee skiing. I was skiing really hard and I, the other knee, I pulled my MCL. I know. Oh my gosh. It's kind of a train wreck. And oh, you're I'm just, tra- you're, you're just coming off as badass, like 50 miles on a paddleboard, you know, like I winning, know. winning your 10 K breaking your knee with your strong <laughs> muscles. I'm like, Oh my God, people are going to be intimidated. Oh my God. Yeah. We yeah. should, we should point out that you do look more like snow. I mean, you are, you are petite. You are very cute. And <laughs> you know, I know I'm not some like burly rock. Yeah. I will crush you. Right. You always um, have a big smile you on your will. face. Yeah. It's not, it's you may not look like that. That's the worst kind. Like your looks belie your badass. <laughs> anyway, my recovery, I mean, now I'm sort of dealing, I'm afraid I might be dealing with like um, the ghost of this old stress fracture in my foot because I came back, you know, I possibly came back on my mileage too much, but I'm, I'm hoping that's not the case, but it's just, it's good. It's a good reminder. Like I have to stay in my body and that's um, really how I've always been a runner. Like even though I've run my whole life, I, I was not like the track and field athlete in high school. Like I wasn't competitive. I've just been a lifelong, like a private runner kind of, and running is how I write. I'm a writer and, um, running is, is my creative fuel and how I process things. And so I think once I started ultra running and getting a lot of success around it, um, there was some natural conflict there because running has been this private creative process for me as well as being very, very physical. But, um, and then when it, when I became competitive and started winning different races and realizing it could be something bigger for me, um, I think that I lost that balance and I've always been an intuitive runner. And then, but when you compete, it's, it's a struggle to stay with that intuition. And the injury was a classic case of my ego got in front of my body and, you know, and, and I got injured. So it's a good reminder. And I want to be a runner my whole life Mm -hmm. because like I said, it's not just for, it's not racing. In fact, I have a lot of, um, just, conflicted feelings about racing. Um, but for me, it's a means of being wild in my own world, like here. And now as a mother, it's the way I can get out deepest into nature, most minimally, like not on a mountain bike that I have to maintain. Although now as I get older, I realize my bike, I mean, my body is my, my gear that I have to maintain, but you know what I mean? It's running is so much simpler. Like after I had my, my girls, I was really avid mountain biker and as well as a runner. And but once I had my babies, I was like, I can no more maintain a bike than I can like fly to the moon right now. Like I was like, this is the last thing I need to be worrying about, you know, is my chain lubed. And so I start and and so running became my way to get deep, as deep as I could into nature in a short amount of time without any gear. And, you know, like I could go farther than I could when I hiked. And, um, it was simpler than riding my bike. And I just need that wildness in my life because it's how I am a creative person. Mm -hmm. And, um, so this injury has taught me that no matter what happens and how much success I have with my racing, like it has to come from within first and be in my body and, and, and not this, not be this outward measurement of like, 
of winning and races, but it's, it's challenging because when you do well, it's, you want to keep doing well. And I certainly want to, yeah, I want to fulfill my potential as an ultra runner. Like I want to see how I do, you know, in a big 100 with, you know, with a stacked field, I really do. But it's just that constant balance of like coming back to my body and my, my, you know, my spirit really. So, so tell us about your journey to becoming an ultra marathoner. I, one thing that was on your blog, I was um, thinking that maybe you were spurred on by a little bit by a profile you wrote for outside magazine that you ended up running alongside an ultra marathoner. Did that have anything to do with it or how'd you get there? You know, interesting. Like I said, I've been a runner and I've always, ever since I've lived in Santa Fe, which is 20 years, I've run the trails. And, but um, in 2007, I did, do um a short profile of dean carnassus the ultra marathon man and he was in the midst of his 50 ultra um 50 marathons in 50 days in 50 states Mm -hmm. and um outside magazine who i've worked for for 20 years dispatched me down to albuquerque to meet with dean and run with him and uh, or to interview him and i'm always been like a, a, a full immersion writer like i I write, I do what I write. So like, I knew I was going to run with Dean. Um, but I, I mean, I hadn't even been trained. I I wasn't, I never really trained for anything. I just ran and, and sometimes I did races, but, um, and so I called Dean and I was like, well, I'll meet you at the, um, finish line and I can, you know, I'll meet you like six miles from the finish and we can run the last six together. And Dean's like, no, meet me at the start. (laughs) So I was like, okay. And, um, I go down there, you know, And I'm figuring like, I'll run 10 miles with Dean or maybe 12 or whatever, but we're going and it's like, we're having such a happy time chatting and Dean didn't run fast because he was running every day, you know? And so we are just out there like just chatting and talking. And, you know, the next thing I know, I'd run a marathon with him and, (laughs) and it was pretty freaking awesome because he, you know, one of Dean's things and what he talked about was that you can always go farther than you think you can and you're always stronger than you think you are. And those words really stuck with me. And not long after I interviewed Dean, I ended up, and this had been a long time in the pro- in, in the process, like it certainly wasn't triggered by Dean, but I left my job on staff at Outside to freelance full time and because that had always been a dream of mine to write, you know, to be a writer. Um, and so... And then, and, and so, so Dean's words helped me through that transition, but it, I didn't really start ultra running until 2010, no, 2012, mm. you know, I kept running. I've all, like I said, just running was a part of my life and a way to be in the wilderness. And I had two daughters in 2008 and 2010. And then in 2010, my father got sick and he pretty quickly, um, did he deteriorated really quickly. He had cancer and I was flying back and forth with my uh, baby who was like two months old to Virginia mm-hmm. to, to see him and care for him. And, and, and then he passed away. And after he passed away, I got this like really intense, intense case of, I don't know if it was postpartum mingled with like PTSD from my dad dying so quickly with, you know, in- postpartum anxiety or something. But I, I, like became incredibly fearful and anxious that I was dying and running like ultra running somehow became this thing that got me through that. Like I, I, you know, I would like catch, if you told me that someone you knew had had cancer or whatever, like I didn't even have to know them, but like, I would get that. I would have that. I would have those symptoms. Hmm. And, um, 
it was really profound for like about a year. And, and I think becoming a mother obviously puts you face to face with your own mortality. I think in a way that you're not prepared for, because you realize like, wow, there's this helpless creature who is dependent on me Mm -hmm. and you love her so much. And you want, like, you just, you want to be there for her always, but there's that realization that you, you know, you won't be at a certain point and please, please, please don't let it be soon. Mm -hmm. Like, and then I think just like that crash course with my dad, you know, on collision course with my dad dying, like just brought that into the forefront. And so, um, I dealt with my anxiety for about a year and, you know, there was like, oh, maybe you should be on medication or this or that. And none of that ever felt right to me because I'm just, I've always done things more naturally. And, um, it was just one, on New Year's Eve, like 2011. So my dad had been just been gone a year. Um, I wrote down on a piece of paper, like my, my goal, athletic goals for 2012 are, and I drew a line and I thought for like 30 seconds and I wrote, you know, run a 50 run and train for and run a 50 K ultra. And so my subconscious must've been working on that for a while. Um, that knowing that, you know, running had always kind of brought me through the hard times and that this was like a severe case of that. So I would kind of need to go farther and longer and, um, something just clicked. And I, you know, I think having that big goal, again, it was never about racing in the beginning. Like it wasn't like, I'm going to go crush my first 50 K or anything. It was more just like, I need to like save my life in a way, because I think I'm, you know, I'm afraid I'm dying. And, um, and so running, um, you know, just having that goal and to train for my first 50 K kind of saved me. And then oh. I've been doing it ever since. Yeah, and you didn't, didn't you like win that race? I won that race <laughs> and I won that race and it was so great because, you know, like that beginner is that like innocence, right? Like I didn't know I was going to win the race. It certainly wasn't even on my radar. And that's what I mean. Like it was coming from this more internal, like a survival place, certainly, but this very private thing inside of me. And, and then to win it then becomes this like, oh, then there's a little layer of expectation on top of the next race. Mm -hmm. And so I think ever since that first win, I've been trying to just find that balance between doing it for myself and from within and yet, you know, trying to fulfill my potential as a competitive athlete, because I, you know, I do think like I have some skills in that area and I, I don't want to just, you know, hole up and not, and not try. And so it's off the hook. Yeah. Right. Let myself off the hook, but yet and I, I'm, you know, I, I bet a lot of people struggle with this, but it's, um, you know, I, running has always brought me incredible joy. And, and now it's just finding that balance between the freedom I feel when I run, you know, but then if I'm working toward a goal, there's, a, there's, a, you lose some of that freedom because, you know, the ego kind of creeps in and I want to try to run free of that. Do you know what I mean? Um, and that's where I run the best. And I think that's always where I've run strongest. And when I've, when I let go of the external goals, it's like, tr- try your best. And then when I show up at the race, it's like, you got to let it all go and just be open to whatever's going to happen that day. And that, you know, the journey that I'm on that day. And so that's been kind of my meditation when I show up at races is to, is to not care, try not to care where I am. And- do you feel that that's also maybe part of the reason why you don't run with a timing piece? Definitely. I'm, I'm pretty anti-data because I feel like it takes me out of my body and it puts me, I'm a competitive person for sure. And it puts me into that, like, 
like who's running faster and like I would ne- like Strava is my ultimate nightmare like I can't go near <laughs> that I mean the idea that like on a normal run up my little mountain here in town like I might be competing against someone is like I mean that is a disastrous idea for me <laughs> so you know like when I was you know I'm not training with anything right now because I'm just trying to get back Mm -hmm. but you know like before races and things like in my peak when I'd be building up I would definitely like use map my run and I would know my pace Um, you know I would do some of that but I wouldn't I never like tabulated really my weekly miles or I never you know I just I just tried to do it from like wake up and be like what do I feel like running today and go do it and run it as you know hard or as strong as I could um And I don't know, maybe that's unconventional, but it's just that sort of how it works best for me. And um, though I am, go ahead. Oh, I think, I think unconventional, I think right there, that kind of just encapsulated a lot of the things you've been talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think, I think we just found your adjective there, Katie. Unconventional. Okay. (laughs) I like that with Snow White. Unconventional Snow White. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But it's a journey and I'm certainly still in it. Like I, I'm really resisting whatever's going on in my foot. And, but I do find the more you resist something, you know, it's like, you just have to surrender to it. And, and that was kind of the beauty of being injured in the winter is I found all these other dimensions Mm -hmm. to my physical self that I didn't know I had. Like I got pretty into Pilates, just not on the machines, but just at home, like doing that goofy thing at home on the mat, Mm -hmm. like by yourself. And it, like, I got strong from that. And I realized, you know what, I am, I'm nimble. Like I, you know, we think as runners that if we, if we can't run for a while, we're going to go insane or like, but I learned there were definitely moments I went insane and I was kind of awful. And my kids were like, when can she run again? Please God. (laughs) But overall it was, there was like a little bit of grace in that period because I learned that like, I'm more than my running, but I really love to run. I really do. I remember you, you, you emailed me after um, my ankle injury and you, you talked about how you really felt like you learned a lot while you were injured Mm -hmm. and that that to, for you, your advice, as I recall, was sort of for me to open myself up to that. Right. And not, you know, cause you'd be telling and people always like to ask, aren't you going insane? Aren't you crazy? Like, and it's easy to attach to that story. Like, yeah, all I am is my running. And if I can't run, I'm going to lose my mind. And definitely days, there are many days, like it felt like that. But I think overall I learned like, Oh, I'm pretty, like I'm pretty adaptable. Like I can do other things. I mean, I don't want to have to give up running like, and you know, but in the short term, like, yeah, I can do other things for 10 weeks. And that was a good lesson. Mm-hmm. It was a good lesson, but it was hard. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So like I, I said in my email, like, you know, I tried to look at like healing is training, right. you know, and like that every was what time, you said. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like healing is training too. And, you know, when I'm healing my body, whether it's like just sitting outside in the sun, trying to soak up the vitamin D that I felt like my bones really needed or whatever. Like I was like, this is, this is, this is my path. And this is what I'm, this is my training right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I say, let's, let's have you read from your essay now. Okay. This, um, this is called a spec through space and um, it's about a 50 mile, my first 50 mile race that I ran. I'm floating through Via Caldera National Preserve. Less than one week from now, a wildfire will skirt the edges of this high open bowl of grass and elk, an enormous scooped out shell of a 1.5 million year old volcano. But I'm the only thing, but I'm the only thing burning today. I'm just a body running, arms and legs firing in unison. My brain, along for the ride, devours everything in sight. 
chunks of glossy black obsidian strewn across the rocky double track, elk ribs bleached white, and far off in the grass, a lumpy skull. A dust devil swirls across the road ahead of me, a dirt brown cyclone throwing its arms in the air. I have never seen anything as electric or wondrous. It's May 25th, sometime before noon. I'm 20 miles deep into my first 50-mile race, the Jemez Mountains 50-mile trail run, in the high country west of Los Alamos, New Mexico. Rumored to be one of the toughest 50-milers in the country, the race follows a long, mostly single-track loop that winds through foothills on the outskirts of Los Alamos before presenting the first of two climbs up 10,440-foot-high Pajarita Ski Resort in the mountains, then descending to the base lodge. From there, the course traverses high meadows and plunges down a loose, precipitous trail into the Valles Caldera. Valles Caldera is actually seven valles, or grassy bowls, strung together like pearls. This section of the run is 12 miles of little-traveled, double-track jeep roads, punctuated by two aid stations. The caldera is a national preserve, and visitation is highly regulated. You can't just show up here on a normal Saturday and go running. Today, as every other day, you won't meet other visitors in this otherworldly place. In fact, the only humans I see, besides a few hardy volunteers, are a handful of other runners waging their own private negotiations with pain, fear, and pride. I've been running for three hours and know what awaits me at the far end of the caldera, a steep, hands-on-knees scramble up Pajarito for a second time. I've got 25 miles to go, and I'm too far in to turn back. I have to get out of the caldera and cover the same distance I've already gone on my own. It's taken me months to get here. All spring, I ran hills and mountains, experimented with nutrition and cross-training, put in long hours on the rolling flats to increase my speed. I mapped all day 35-mile solo runs in the backcountry near my home, dropped off my two daughters at school and ran all day, straight until pickup, when I'd show up sweaty with dirt-scuffed ankles, exhausted and ecstatic. I've been a runner and outdoor athlete my whole life, but I only started racing ultras recently. Outdoor sports have always been a creative, emotional, and physical outlet for me, and nothing clears my mind and boosts my spirit like a few hours of hard exercise in the backcountry. I spent my 20s and 30s and early 30s riding mountain bikes, but after my first daughter was born, I turned more often to trail running. I could get in a great workout in less time than cycling and didn't have to fuss over any gear. A baby was enough maintenance for me. Then two years later, in the course of three months, my second daughter was born and my father was diagnosed with cancer and died. When I finally emerged again from the fog of infancy and grief, I was desperate to reclaim my wild territory. My cravings for nature and wilderness were visceral and insatiable. For my sanity and creativity, I needed to go far and deep. But as a mother of an 18-month-old and a 3-year-old, I had even less time to spare than before. The fastest way to go farther and wilder was to run. Since running my first 50K, everything I've learned about ultra running, I've gleaned through trial and error. I've never worn a heart rate monitor. I don't have a coach or a training plan, and I don't track my stats or compete on Strava or even wear a watch. Maybe I'd be a faster runner if I did, but I prefer to train from the inside, by feel, by listening to my body, by running from the heart rather than from my head, by focusing on the private joy of moving through nature on my own two feet. When I do this, I invariably run faster, stronger, farther, and happier. I won my first two 50Ks with an ease that surprised me. Many people think 
think running and racing is about speed, but really it's about slowing down. You may be moving faster than you ever have on two legs, but in the quiet of prolonged effort, time stretches out, elongates. You listen to a song you've heard a hundred times before and it sounds different. You hear it with your body, not your brain. You absorb everything around you. The waving grass, the elk high above you, trampling soot black deadfall, the sweet orange slices that taste better than anything you've ever eaten in your whole life. Your mind drifts away. You're moving on instinct. You are transported without leaving your body. You are purely animal, unstoppable, firestorming across the forest, wild and alive. Almost immediately after leaving the final aid station in the caldera, I lose the course. The orange markers that have been leading us vanish. I slow to a walk and spend 20 minutes or more picking my way through tall grass, looking for the bright orange stick flags that have fallen over in the stiff spring wind or have been trampled by elk. A small herd lumbers across the hillside in front of me, and I let them pass, more awed at their beauty than annoyed at being lost. I wait for two runners far below to catch up with me, and together we canvass the slope, looking for a sign that we're on the right track. Eventually, we see a single orange ribbon dangling from a branch, and we separate again, retreating into our private silent worlds, bent into the mountain, making it out of the caldera on our own. That's awesome. I love your essay. It takes, it's such a good sense of place. I mean, having lived in uh, New Mexico, it made me very um, envious because I love running there as well. Oh, um, yeah. And then just about, I was like, it's such a good sense of place and such, it seems just so raw. And then I feel like you ate like 12,000 oranges. I'm like, oh, there she is eating an orange slice. I, ate, I mean, the oranges, whoever invented oranges was genius. Because they are the best thing on the planet. The best. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> they um, do actually. I mean, especially if you haven't had one in a while and then you get an unexpected slice in a race and it's a good one, like it's really juicy. Uh, I mean, it does like hit like nothing else does, right? It's got that little zest. And, yeah. you know, I think because if when you've been eating goo and I'm pretty religious, like I eat gels and blocks every 30 minutes because that's just how what I need to stay you know yeah, in it fuel, and yeah. but you know oh my god when you get to that like at a certain point you're just stuffing your fists with oranges and then watermelon forget about it that's like a godsend <laughs> so yeah I am you know I love running because it makes me really present and ultras uh, make me even hype more hyper present than anything because you're just in your body for so long that you lose the, that like chattery mind yeah, and yeah you're just awake to the world. And, and that for me running, that's the ultimate gift of running. I love that's that phrase awesome. awake to the world. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's hey, so for our last question, I want to change the topic a little bit, or we want to change the topic a little bit sort of, so via your blog, raising rippers and mm-hmm. an NPR interview and a couple other venues, it seems like you're becoming a bit of an, of an expert maybe on free range parenting, which is, uh, has nothing to do with chickens living outside of their cages. Um, (laughs) um, can you talk a bit about the idea behind the concept of free range parenting? Sure. So free range parenting is in the, is getting a lot of press right now because, um, there's a family in Maryland who let their children walk home a mile home from a park to their house in suburban Maryland. And, Um, The kids were stopped and taken to Child Protective Services, and the parents were placed under investigation for a possible negligence, letting their kids do this. And and so that's what – and so free-range parenting is the idea of of giving your kids the freedom 
to move through the world a little bit on their own independently. Um, and it's not just saying like, let your kid out the first day they turn five and like tell them to walk to school, right? It's a process. It's, it's, I think it's very much like training for a race or training for a long adventure run is like you do it in steps. You know, in my family, we have a saying for that. It's called breaking it down. Like when my girls want to learn how to ride up the driveway, cause we have a steep gravel driveway it's like okay break it down like ride to the mailbox and then the next time ride a little farther and break it down and and free range parenting I think is about breaking it down it's you know this family in Maryland had been increasing their kids radius for a while you know and 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 wasn't it also that they let them not just walk back but they would let them walk to the park and then play at the park by themselves right wasn't well, they were at the park. They got dropped off and played at the park by themselves. By themselves, right. Yeah, home. yeah. But but and, they were also, because when I heard you talking about it, I thought it was also part of the, oh my gosh, they were at a park by themselves yes. playing alone. Yeah. And the kids, I think, are seven and 10. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think for me, like, I'm trying to raise my girls in that way um, to give them the independence outside, but always, you know, as a mother, like always fear is part of the equation. Like you're always balancing your your own fear with trying to give them the autonomy that really kids need. Um, and, and I'm not talking about putting them on unnecessary risks, certainly, but I know this family in Maryland had practiced and like, you know, the kids had built up to that distance. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it's, it's close to my heart because I was raised that way. I mean, I think many of us were in the seventies yeah. and eighties. I mean, that's just, that's what didn't need a name back then. It was just called parenting or being a kid. It was yeah, just being right, a kid, right? right? Like, yeah. you know, there was no parenting. It was just right. being a kid. That's exactly just, it. There yeah. was no parenting. Parenting wasn't like this genre. Yeah. It was just what our parents did, like yeah. when they were doing other things. And so, you know, but I lived in suburban New Jersey. It was certainly not near a lot of wilderness. Like I didn't have a wild childhood, but in many ways it was much wilder than kids today because I could ride. I had like free range in the neighborhood on my bike. And, you know, we had this whole posse of kids up and down the block that we would play with. And we just had to be home when my mom called and I did my homework first. And then I went outside. And so I was raised in that way. And I, you know, it's harder and harder to raise kids that way because I think neighborhoods have changed. At least, mm-hmm. you know, there's not as many kids outside playing. And when there's not as many other kids, it's harder to let your own kids out. And, yeah. and then there's the sort of the societal stigma, obviously, like the person who called the police on these kids they saw walking home was certainly was not used to seeing kids walking through the neighborhood, which is a sad commentary yeah, too. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's close to my heart. And, and certainly like that's the kind of childhood that I got from both my mother and my father and, um, and allowing our children to have those moments of wildness in their life is very important. And it's tied into how I run. Like that's how I get my wildness and that's how, I'm a better mother for it and I model to my kids, but then I want to give them some freedom too. And, and it it all depends on the kid and the age and the neighbor. I mean, there's so many factors, but, and so only like the parents can really know, I think, um, what feels right, but it's, it's, um, you know, it's certainly important to me to try to give that to my children and, um, what, whether or not you have a label for it. I mean, I don't necessarily consider myself a free range parent because I, there's moments when I'm helicopter, like I <laughs> trampoline scare the crap out of me, you know, and I am the biggest buzz buzzing helicopter mom when there's trampoline, you know, but other things like what, you know, it's what's in your comfort zone. Right. Sure. And, and so it's different for everyone, but sure. I wish that, it, I wish that kids had, I wish there were more kids outside playing, um, in more neighborhoods and that they could have that kind of freedom that we had. Um, because I think it's so, um, 
instrumental to who we are as adults. I mean, riding my bikes around my neighborhood in New Jersey, like gave me this freedom that I've always carried with me, you know? Oh, definitely. I mean, I was, I was out, I mean, I was in like, you know, country Minnesota and I was Laura Ingalls Wilder on my cross country skis for hours and hours and hours. On cross country skis, you said? Yeah. Oh, I love that, Debbie. I love that. I mean, I I did have woods and I did have, you know, acres and acres of land and I just would be out there talking to myself. Yes, making up stories. Yeah. Well, you had had an imaginary friend, didn't you, Dim? I I did. Yeah, I I know. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I wasn't but making I just, fun of you. I was yeah, I, was no, I, de- I mean, I definitely, I, I taught a lot of school when I was growing up to a lot of teach a lot of kids that never existed, but I just, I mean, I, I have a hard time. That's sometimes hard with, with my kids because I'm like what their childhood and I am not an overprotective parent by any stretch. Like I'm like, ride your bike. You can go do this, you know, just be right. back at four thirty or whatever. Um, but, uh, but their, their childhood looks so different than mine did. And both by just place, you know, where we live and just, when when they live and when I lived, you know, or when I was a child. And it's it's really hard to reconcile that sometimes. It is. I mean, it's funny you mentioned Laura Ingalls Wilde are so rad and we're reading this book <laughs> right now. I mean, she's the coolest. And I like my girls are kind of like, I want them to be like little mini Laura's. Like they're out there just scrapping it out outside and, you know, Playing with, Laura, pig, playing with pig bladders, blowing yeah, them up exactly. instead of balls. <laughs> I love it in the book because every few pages, it's like someone in the book reminds someone else that children should be seen and not heard. And, <laughs> and like, how many times did my parents say that to me? Like, yeah. like that. Let's dust that one off. Seen and not heard. <laughs> let's dust that one off. I'd... <laughs> I mean, occasionally, right? Like, not not occasionally. It could come I, in. You know, just... It could definitely come in handy sometimes. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Well, well, Katie, I think we could talk to you all after. Oh, yeah, that was but... so fun. No, this is really fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, good luck. So you don't have a race on your calendar right now. You're well, just I, into healing, right? I'm into healing. You know, I had a race and I just had to let go of it last week. My body's not ready, and that you know that humility. I feel like I'm doing humility training right now because it's like you know what, my I'm not ready, and that's okay. Yeah. I, I'm taking the long view. I'm trying. I've got a you know my long term goal is to train and run a hundred. And, um, that's what I'm keeping in the foreground. And I, I guess part of recovering from injury is we try to grip on to what was, and like, I want to be the runner I was last summer. And it's like, you know what, I've got to be the runner. I've got to run into the runner I'm going to be. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I've yeah. got to run forward and not run backwards. And, and that's kind of my, um, more, you know, meditative emotional thing that I'm working on right now but yeah. the short answer is no and um I feel okay about it I'm, my motto yeah. this summer is run for fun nice. there you go nice. and I think I my instinct is when I run for fun I run stronger and better anyway so yeah my mantra when I I mean I've come back from a gazillion and a half injuries uh-huh. and I am here now I am here now yes. you're in this mile this is where I am and this is oh, where I, I am and I can't be any other place and I can't be any other way Right. than where my body and my feet are right now. Right. And so oh, if you can good. just kind of just like, I mean, that, that sometimes I just repeat that to myself. I'm and when I start thinking like, oh, what could have been? Or, oh, that was so slow. Or you right. feel so, uh, you know, it's like, you know what? No, I get to be here and I am here now. So oh, I like that. Yeah. Running is, is such a way for us to like transcend some parts of ourselves that, you yeah. know, and free ourselves. But then it also becomes, we can become it's the sort of whipping post, right? Like when you just yeah. beat ourselves up about it and, um, that's when, when I try to run free of that. That's, 
I like that run idea. Free, that's another one. Run free. Yeah, run free. All yeah. right. Well, Miss Katie Arnold, run free and keep run running free. strong. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you go, too. Go gather your wildflowers and put them on. Have a great day. I know. I will, I will thank my little birdie friends out yes. the window. <laughs> okay. Thanks. All right. Thanks, ladies. That was a blast. Thanks Bye. for joining us, Katie. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, that was, um, I love the, the, just the, how it became such a conversation that really, you know, transcended the topic. I really, yeah. really, yeah. that, that, and then, but then contrasted against those birdies they were singing. It was like, it was <laughs> like. I know, I was wondering if she had a bird, and I was like, well, maybe that's something that would just, is that, and that's in Sarah's thing, and Alice is going to edit it out, but yeah, I think, I think it, wasn't it Cinderella? Though? Yeah, it, it's funny, while, while she was talking, I thought, Dimity's right, it was Cinderella, because it, they would help her with her chores, I think, and the little yes, mice, yes, and all and that stuff. and then they came and poked out the stepsister's eyes at the end, and the reason why oh. I know this oh. is because we watched um, Into the Woods the other night, on Saturday night, we oh, rented that. Uh-huh, so, uh, uh-huh. so I got a little refresher on all of my uh, fairy tales. Oh, you're grim. And you know, you were you did say German in in college, so maybe you oh, yeah. also maybe you read it in the original, and that's why it had the um, <laughs> the, the birds poking out the, the birds, eyes. Because yes. I think I think that's rated that's you know cut out of some of the, the American version. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, wow. She is great. I mean, I think that she brought insight to so many different levels of running, and mm-hmm. um, I mean, she is a badass. Like, yeah, no you doubt. know, like make no mistake, but I think that what she, she says in the way that she approaches her running is, um, you know, can be instrumental to everybody. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I am going to, I think, listen to this podcast several times over as I am coming back from my injury. Yeah, no, I was definitely thinking about you a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think that she's definitely embraced it. I think you guys have a similar personality in that, you know, you've got your eye on Boston and you're like, okay, I'm going to get back there. But mm-hmm. the reality is, is you got to get back there by absolutely tuning in, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, I think Katie's going to be my no BFF, I think. That's, there that's you my go. hope anyway. <laughs> yeah. And all those trails at 7,000 feet. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. We're just going to, we're just going to be, too. we're just going to be friends over the digital world. There's no way I'm oh. running with her. So oh, yeah. Okay. yeah, 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 yeah. So, well, great. Well, we hope you will like our Facebook page, which is Run Like a Mother, the book. We hope you'll visit our websites, one of which was just redesigned. It looks fabulous. That is anothermotherrunner.com and our store website where you can get our 10K or 13.1 challenge. That is motherrunnerstore.com. On Twitter and Instagram, we're at the Mother Runner. We'd love it if you would follow us. Our books, Run Like a Mother, Train Like a Mother, and Tales from Another Mother Runner, where you can read all of Katie's essay. Those are available on Amazon.com. And um, whether you have birds circling around your head or not, twittering, many happy miles to you. Tweet, 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 tweet. <laughs>